Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1065. Hey, how y'all doing? That's what we would say where I'm from. I guess people say, how are you doing everywhere? But I just added the y'all in there, which I say a lot now, by the way. I never said y'all when I was younger growing up in Tennessee, but it has found its way into my uh, vernacular. So I, I don't know why I don't, I don't sound Southern, but then the y'all just creeps out. I just It just feels very warm to me. How y'all doing? And I hope the answer is great. And if you're listening to this podcast, um, I know that during quarantine, your routines have been disrupted. So you're not, you're probably not on public transportation. You're probably not going to the gym. You're probably not um, riding in your car, commuting to a job that you would normally go to. So I'm, so weirdly, it might actually be a little more challenging to find time to listen to podcasts, which you do to probably help kill time while you do other things. So if you are listening to this, I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. It really means a lot to me. So um, let's talk about events that are going on in the ID10T community, events at ID10T.com. Like Randy, who writes, I created something to find out what happens when you mash up Star Wars canon with a classic public domain movie from 1932. The most dangerous game, in parentheses, a Star Wars story, is an audio fan production from Seriously Strange Audio Theater. It sounds amazing. Our humble troupe, which I co-founded in Sacramento with Sharon Menifee in 2019, produces audio theater as a labor of love on a micro-budget with a cast and crew of volunteers. After producing three comedy shorts, The Most Dangerous Game is our first full-length play. The production was a true team effort with me writing and directing, Sharon coordinating and casting and doing the sound design, and local voice actors bringing the characters to life. For more information, check out seriouslystrangeaudiotheater.com. And the uh, you can do slash MDG for Most Dangerous Game. So uh, slash MDG. That sounds fantastic. Thank you, Randy. Uh, well, well done. The, the mashup thing, I just... I'm I'm a sucker for it every time. It's just to to create a multi-layered thing like that and and give the world something new. Um, good job, good job, kiddo. As us older folks say, I'm not that much older. Actually, I don't know how old you are, but I'm assuming I'm older than you are. So good job, kiddo. 
Um, all right, this episode is Rebecca Hall, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. She'll, she'll win an Oscar someday, <laughs> definitely, for acting or directing. She's directing now. Uh, we talk a lot about that, too. So she'll, she's, she's going to have at least one of those fancy gold statues, I predict. You heard it here. Um, she, you, you've seen Rebecca Hall in a million things. Uh, the Prestige, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Frost Nixon, uh, Dorian Gray, Iron Man 3, Transcendence. Um, she's in, uh, this really, really cool anthology series on Amazon right now called Tales from the Loop. Um, and it's, it's a series, it's, like, each episode is like an anthology series, but they all revolve around the same area, so the same town, so they're not disconnected stories. So um, you should definitely watch that. Now you got time to do that, so uh, watch that, Tales from the Loop. And uh, Rebecca was so wonderful to talk to. Again, video conferencing for the win. This has been spectacular. And just, I, I just walk nine feet from where my bedroom is to my office to do work. I, I don't hate that. I'm not going to lie. I like doing these in person when they're possible, but I've really warmed up to this. It is really, really, really been great. So now I'm just throwing out names to the, to the nice folks who book the podcast. Like, let's see about this person. This person doesn't matter where they are. We can do this as long as they have an internet connection. So thank you to Rebecca Hall for just being a splendid uh, conversation and uh, really, really. By the way, I also we talk about this a little bit too. As I've said before, it's really interesting to see, like, just sort of a slice of people's homes, home offices, or whatever. And uh, I just have to give props. The color of blue in her office, her design aesthetic is really great. And the color of blue in her office was incredible. She says the name of it in the podcast. I can't remember what it is now. I think maybe she said, ugh. I can't remember what it is, but she says it in the podcast and I'm going to hunt it down because it is a gorgeous shade of blue. And uh, so here we go. This is the ID10T podcast number 1065 with Rebecca Hall. Initiating ID10T protocol. Oh my god, that is the ideal background. It's a dark blue wall. It's nothing. just like it's just such a cool neutral, by the way, amazing color of blue, by the way. Amazing. It's a good color of blue, yeah. It's a it really is, good color of blue. It is really nice. You can't see it, but in this sort of like pinstripey wallpaper, there is a strip of blue that is almost that identical color. I believe it is not Pharaoh and Ball. I believe it's a copy of a Pharaoh and Ball color called Van Dyke Blue or Dutch something blue? I'm writing Van Dyke Blue down. I'm <laughs> it's writing very blue. It's because... a very this is, this is our office room. It's it's got a very it's got good blue blue tones. And also, you're wearing blue jeans and kind of like a blue. Yeah, I know. Of... I didn't. I didn't do. It. I've done a couple of these today. I had to do a couple of on camera ones 
a couple of live TV ones. So I was making some some something of an effort, I suppose. But, but I didn't actually think about the blue thing. But now you now you. I must have on some unconscious level, really. This is the perfect like editorial photo shoot thing that's going on. It's like all the tones are sort of tied in. I mean, my wife and I love like, you know, restoring houses and, and yes. all the sort of decorate. And so whenever my I see a color I that I like, yeah, I write it down. Like, oh, yeah. you do? Mm-hmm. Love it. Did you buy, is that, is, are, I assume you own the house you're living in? Yes, this is our this is our principal. This is our house in Hudson, uh, New York, where we live. All right. And um, so, was it when you bought it? Was it a bit of a fixer upper? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. It was a bit sneaky. Like we we thought we were going to get you know this sort of typical old dilapidated beautiful farmhouse, and then do a whole number on it. And we ended up getting. A beautiful old farmhouse, which happened to have been built in the 70s, but based on a 1900s farmhouse design. Oh, wow. So it, it looks old, but it's got the guts of something more modern. And, like the, the you know, there were no horrible surprises. Oh, that's so fantastic. We kind of lucked out, actually, in that respect. You are so lucky. How about you? You, had, you, did, a big, you did a big number on it? We've done, well, the house we live in, it was built in 28 and it's um it's a historical house like it's 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 in the oh yeah and so it um it's in the mills act which basically means that we can't we wouldn't but that we have to follow certain guidelines in order to keep it historical and we did there was a lot of stuff that we did in not a ton of stuff that we did inside but just over the years, other people had kind of done some things that we undid and then re mm. re put back into that time. Right, period. right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was. Yeah. But we lived in it while that was happening. Which, if you don't have to do that, I don't recommend. <laughs> it's not to be recommended. No, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's not pleasant. We did a little bit of that, but not a lot. We. It was that. It was sort of that thing where when we first moved in, there, there was a constant shift of like okay now we're staying in this room because they're working on that part we we kind of moved around the house until we you know until it was all done and uh living in a cupboard in a bathroom yeah you're living in a cupboard yes it's very like harry potter and privet drive and we (laughs) (laughs) we're like in the cupboard and we just had this group of roommates who showed up (laughs) every morning at 7 30 and uh and we lived that way for a couple of years. Did you were you able to do your work not in your while you were living there? Yeah, we timed it out quite well so that we were able to uh, just organize it just as we were both having to go somewhere else to do you know jobs. Oh, that's good. That's good. And we're it, always we're always having to do that. Actually, this is this is probably the longest that we've ever spent at home altogether. How are you doing with that? We're doing all right. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? We're fine. I mean, we are sort of homebodies by nature. And so... Likewise, yeah. The, like the, the, the drive... I mean, I think it's just the idea of like that we can't go out, but the drive mm-hmm. to go out is not strong with us. Um, no, us, us also. I think, in fact, we're, we're constantly uh, trying to manufacture ways to just stay in the house and never leave. So this is, this is quite fortunate but I mean you know it's a it's a super privileged position to absolutely to be able to enjoy that I mean we're lucky enough to have a really beautiful garden and a you know a nice kitchen and you know we don't 
our, our jobs are sort of allow for big gaps and we're okay. You know, so we should be so lucky. But all that said, I'm kind of in, in you know, enjoying getting to hang out with my two-year-old and, you know, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty grateful for all of that. And I'm grateful Sorry. for my sourdough starter, like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we 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 have uh, we have a puppy that we got not uh-huh. for the quarantine, just the timing of it. And quarantine it, puppy, a puppy is for life, not just for quarantine. Just a, just a little quarantine tiny. Yeah, well, he's not tiny. He's he's enor- He's a bit, He's going to be a huge dog. And what what variety? Just a, a, a kind of. No, he's. It's called an otterhound, and it's like a. It's an, an almost otterhound. an otterhound. It's almost an extinct breed of dog that. My wife, you know, has these very strong conservation uh, urges and she was like, well, we have to, we want to save this breed, but it's a, it's, it's a, like a cousin of the Irish wolfhound and they were oh, bred, yeah. you know, a century ago to hunt otters. And it turns out the otter hunting game ain't what it used to be. So... No, they- really? I would have thought it was doing gangbusters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you notice yeah. there's no otters in your yard, so you're welcome. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, and so, he, but they're, they get to be like 130 pounds. And so he's already almost 50 pounds at 13 Gosh. So, wow. Yeah. So my, you know, my wife keeps... Oh, I really want to, I'm just, I'm desperate to look up otterhounds now. I can't... They're uh... so adorable. They're just these, like, shaggy, big old, like, lumbery, but very sweet mannered dogs. My wife keeps saying, well, this is just, you know, like, get ready. This is a precursor to when we have kids. And I said, yeah, but a baby isn't going to like try to bite my arm when it thinks it's playing. So I feel well, like... it depends what kind of baby you get. I, I <laughs> Some babies are very mouthy. No, never say never. So anything, anything's possible. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're having fun with the two-year-old. I imagine some... Some folks are probably like, "Oh my God, it just never stops," you know, with the kids running around. But it's been it's been okay because two year olds don't understand what's going on. No, two is well, she's really distra- distracting, and and she's she's I think she's thrilled that we're both at home, honestly. And uh, it's not it's not too bad, you know. We have a garden she can run around in, and I think if we had more than one, it, it would it would start to feel kind of. A, overwhelming I suppose and I, I feel for my friends who you know have like I have one friend who has three kids and another friend who has two kids and twins who are stuck in like a tiny place and I just you know I just feel that we've got it really lucky so I don't feel in any position to to complain about it and honestly it's it's kind of a it's kind of a juicy and delightful age being a two-year-old so it's it's right. fun to watch it because usually I'm getting dragged off to go and do something. So, you know, now I'm just like day in, day out, just staring at her with a, with a lot of joy. Yeah, because what's crazy is that they, like my friend has three kids, but he's actually having, a, he and his wife are having a really great time with them. And the oldest one is six and he's starting to play drums. And it seems so weird because when you get older, six years goes by like that. But you realize that a person can literally go from a blob to like a fully formed creature with its own likes and dislikes. (laughs) And it's so surreal how quickly that happens. It just seems like a valuable time to be around a child from two to three when their personality really starts to take hold. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of magic on some level. What sort of stuff is she into? Have you, have you started to notice patterns of like, 
it's are there certain types of activities or does she like um, yeah she loves she loves music she always wants to put music on and she loves doing um she loves doing dancing she's got some she's got some serious moves already i don't i i just i don't even know where to begin to describe <laughs> and she's she's getting to this really delightful stage where everything is um you know it interesting given that both her parents are actors it's an interesting lesson for us because she's suddenly at this stage where she just slips into uh like role play games so completely and utterly and it's uh it's really interesting it's not learned you know we're not like you know doing that or anything suddenly you know she she watched uh she watched mary poppins and i and suddenly it's like you're mary poppins and I am, I am Nala from The Lion King. And you are, you know, so she's casting everyone. And, and oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> she's not yeah. making you audition, right? You just get the offer? Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I think because of my accent, because I'm, you know, I'm the anomaly in my family. I'm the one with the British accent. So I, I think she thinks I might be Mary Poppins. Which is <laughs> oh, she's making the connection. Yeah. You might have to just show up one day with a, like a case and an umbrella. Yeah, like oh, no, it's quite it's quite useful. If I say spit spot very quickly, then she, she tends to do things quicker than than if I don't. Interesting. She'll, she'll go, oh yeah, yeah, but if I if I put on Mary Poppins voice, it's like yes, 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 Mary Poppins. And it's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that lot. <laughs> I know my wife is very adamant. She's like, we're when we have kids, we're definitely going to have a girl. And I was like, would you get to pick that? She goes, no, 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 it's it's going to happen. You know, she's so, she's so excited. I mean, like she would be excited no matter what, you know, it's yeah. not like, but I think the idea, she's like, listen, little boys are terrors when they're like two to six years old. They just, they're like tornadoes and little girls are just very cool and sweet. And I go, yeah, but doesn't that, I don't doesn't know. it get harder when they become <laughs> teenagers? Like when's the, like, wh- I guess you're just I sort of like, about, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Isn't that, I also, I'm, I'm slightly part of me sort of I know that that's true and I have I have friends who have who have boys and they I think they are a little more rambunctious than than our one but at the same time there's there's a little bit of me there's a rebellious bit in me that's like no 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 we mustn't keep telling our girls that they're good and sweet and nice because it's so sort of you know it's it's just gender stereotyping and you know so I get a sort of perverse thrill every time she just wants to run around and like add it and sort of roll in mud and scream I'm like yes come on <laughs> well that's definitely I mean my wife is much more is the adventurous one in the relationship so hopefully what you know whatever kind of child we have they inherit that from her because I'm the more neurotic, like, I don't know, maybe we should not go do Uh-oh. things, you know, <laughs> safer if we, you know, so hopefully they inherit. I don't want that. It's like those qualities where you're like, I hope that doesn't just pass on to the kid. I hope they, I hope that circumvents them. Yeah. 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 I know. I know. What you mean? Oh, and she's. <laughs> What's she saying? Just making noise. I don't know what that was. I'm, I'm going to try and keep my profile low because she will definitely come and get involved in this interview if I... Uh... You know what? That'll be fine. This is a very loose, by the way. There's no real structure to it. It's just a loose <laughs> conversation. I've had, I've had like people bring in their pets and kids. and like, just, This is just a fun... I never thought I'd be able to do these via video conferencing because I always thought, well, you have to be in front of people to have a real right. conversation. And this is really 
like opened up a whole world of, oh, wow, this actually kind of works. And it's sort of fun to get a peek into like people's houses, to people's houses and how they live and what their what their kind of space is. No, I'm really enjoying your the alligator. Oh, yeah. a, my wife and I both have a, an affinity for weird vintage taxidermy. And so we oh, you're those people. With those, with those people. Well, I mean, like. No, I'm I'm with you. I think I, I all power to you. But that that's pretty. That's pretty serious piece. That one's pretty serious. And there's a giant like bird eating spider behind him, um, and then just sort of like the old oil paintings. I remember the first time. And, I and a beautiful typewriter. Yeah, I yeah, no, yeah. Really old, a really old typewriter. Everything in our house is some kind of an antique, or we. I can tell you where everything came from. But I remember the first time I went to the Natural History Museum in London, I walked in and I was like, I want to live here. This is, and she's exactly <laughs> the same way. We just have that weird, you know, I don't know what it is. We love your country. <laughs> it's a good country. I'm, I'm fond of it too. It, there's, just so, there's just so much history, you know? Like I feel like so much of America, like, like the sort of, the 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 part of american history that we live in now is very short you know when people mm-hmm. came here and stole the land but mm-hmm. the um and so like i find that we we love to sort of borrow i think that's why so many americans are like anglophiles we want to sort of borrow more of the history from the older parts of the of the the world mm-hmm. yeah i get it i do what's your aesthetic what do you, what do you what would you say y'all's y'all's design aesthetic is <sighs> I think we're very like I'm, I feel bad because I'm I'm only showing you this blue wall, so you can't exactly get much right. I'd say it's like a look here. I'll spin you around so you can see a bit oh, more. Oh great! It's like a oh, oldie, yeah. oldie, lots of books mixed with a bit of modern, mixed with a bit of you know old antiques, army. Yeah, there's there's some there's some there's some nice brass in there too. I see like a couple of brass. We have a lot of antiques and then we have the odd bit of, no, it's mostly antiques and old sort of vintage finds and a lot of books. Have you, since you've been spending more time at home than normal, are you getting the itch to like, oh, maybe we should rearrange or maybe we should redo this or are you just pretty happy with the way everything is? Yeah, I spent, I spent three days furiously rearranging uh, one of our living rooms, yeah. <laughs> well, for actors, you know, like you live a pretty nomadic lifestyle. You know, you got to pack up and move and live somewhere for you know one to three months. That becomes your home. I'm sure. Do you have a ritual for how you kind of arrange your temporary spaces when you're on location? I do actually. I do. I'm really fussy about it. I'll always move things around to to, to, to however it feels better or however I want to use the space. And I, one of the first things I always go out and buy is like you know a candle because I'm, I get very prissy about smells in new places. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's really princess of me. I know, but <laughs> what's your candle smell? What's your candle smell? Um, you know, I tend to go for a, the sandalwoody sort of yes. kind of earthy business. Yeah. Very nice. I just bought a candle that smells like a new, it, someone made a candle that smells like a new Mac computer. Like that smell, like when you, open that sounds it. awful. Why would you? You mean like sort of cellophane and saran wrap and like no, a there's, just, there's there's like a smell that like a brand new electronic device has 
it's like a kind of alloy smell. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a sort of alloy and plastic kind of. They somehow made it very pleasant. I don't know. Maybe it's just. It's the smell of corporations. (laughs) Well, when you frame it like that, yes, that (laughs) that is not a great smell. Something about it, though, like it just, yeah, I know. That's funny. You went very earthy and I went very like technological. No, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that the Mac computer smells. I'm, I'm just like I'm, I'm just trying to have this. Not anymore. You know, you know what's going to happen. Does not smell anymore. I'm going to find a way to send you one, and then That's just too funny an idea. I really, I really want to smell it. And then you can just send me a picture back of it in your trash. Like, well, I got <laughs> the candle, and this is thank you, but no, 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 thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder for for actors. I mean, I I I always in general sort of have empathy. I sort of not not it's not that I feel bad, but acting is such a strange track because you generally can only do your job when someone else tells you you can do your job. You know what I mean? Like you you there's only so much you can do. Whereas you know, like I can do podcasts on my own. I can do stand-up comedy on my own. I can I can write on my own. And I always feel like actors are sort of imprisoned in this machine but even more so now when it you know could be a while before people are going to theaters again or up, have television and films up and running again so what how are you coping with that or what are some things you're doing to sort of scratch the creative itch um I, it's it's funny isn't it because this moment it's like we're, we're really actually really realizing what the truly indispensable services in our society are the jobs are the people who deliver things the people you know and nurses and hospital you know, just like we're, we're so sort of very aware of the people that have to who are performing the essential services right now and have to keep working and you know acting is by <laughs> absolutely non-essential yeah. in that respect but people are also you know staying home watching things so there's this sort of there is this sort of tension between knowing that we can't go and work, but also knowing that people are going to need things to stop them going insane at a certain point. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of, uh, it's, it's weird, but uh, you know, also to answer your question, I don't, I don't, uh, if I'm being honest with you, I don't really think of myself. I don't define myself entirely as an actor. So I don't, uh, I don't know that I am so, disturbed by the lack of it in my life I mean I, I it's something that I do and I love and I you know it's it's how I pay the bills it's how I've been paying the bills since I was tiny you know I was like I was earning money when I was nine and you know complicated other reasons but you know that's been it's been a long time so it's but I I, I love it but I also you know I, I think of myself as someone who I don't know likes to look at the world and try and interpret it in various ways. And acting is a part of that, but also, you know, I, I paint and I write and I like, you know, I, I do other things and it's, it's always been interesting to me because I don't know really what I define myself as. I know that doing all those other things makes me a better actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm any of those other things more than I am an actor because acting is the thing that everyone knows me for. But this time has, you know, been a sort of focusing moment for that because I've, I've had time to go and, you know, sit in my funny attic and paint 
pictures and and read books and drift downstairs and play the piano, although Ida really hates it when I play the piano. She immediately comes and makes me stop. <laughs> maybe because I'm not very good or maybe because the piano needs a tune, I'm not really sure. But, <laughs> you know, and I'm also, it's, it's, I'm also very lucky at the moment because just as this all happened, I was right in the final stages of, of editing uh, the first movie that I directed and wrote. And so I've been able to keep doing that, like, remotely. Weird process, let me tell you, editing a movie remotely, but I have been able to keep doing it. Um, so I've been really busy, and it feels like a sort of incredibly creative time, you know? And I, I, I feel a certain amount of, um, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for it. I also feel the sort of, you know, that sometimes the sort of, like, external... What am I trying to say here? backtrack what I'm trying to say is I think that there you know I think that pre this moment there was a lot of achievement focus and there's something interesting about this moment because we're being forced to think about what is actually fulfilling mm-hmm. um, because the markers of achievement have altered somewhat right. right and I and that has been really more interesting for me than sort of like output. You know, it's not like, oh, I've, I painted four pictures today and I've written four scripts and I'm halfway through my novel. It's like, you know, what on a day-to-day basis is, is making me feel fulfilled as right. a person. And it's, and, it's, and it's not actually driven by the need to, to, to go out and hear the applause after performing whatever it is. <laughs> it's like, right. it's, you know, have I, have I, I don't know what it is, the small things. And that, that's something, that's something really valuable. You can live out your master chef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app. Or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Look, this situation sucks and it's a weird, surreal thing. But if we are for, forced to be at home, can we be reflective? And can we get to know ourselves and then ask ourselves questions that we probably dodge most of the time because we're going, 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 distracting, distracting, distracting with all of the external world stuff, like you said. And, and it, 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 it is a time to maybe ask yourself like, well, did I like what I was doing before? Is it possible? Can I explore anything else? Who am I? It, it is having to face a lot of the existential stuff that I, some of the bigger ticket items that I think we're able to not have to deal with a lot of the time. And I think it's great. It's very healthy that you do all these things and that there isn't so much emphasis on 
your identity being tied to just being an actor that you do all these other things too. And, and I'm so, I'm, I'm very happy for you that you were able to finish the thing that you were directing. In yeah, time. no, I am too. I got, I was really, Oh boy, that timeline. I was very lucky because I know people who are right in the middle of shooting something and you know, it, it got stopped. My husband was about to start something got stopped. So it's, it's, yeah, I really, I really lucked out. I mean, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, really like that. What were you, what was the project you were directing? I mean, if you can talk about it at all. No, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it a little bit. Um, it's still, you know, it's still in process. So, um, it's a, it's a script that I started work on a, a long, long time ago. And it's based on a, a really extraordinary novella by a woman called Nella Larson, who was a, um, who was a biracial African-American uh, novelist in the Harlem Renaissance who wrote not a lot um, and then sort of disappeared. She's quite an enigmatic figure. Um, it's a book called Passing um, and it's an extraordinary book about two, two black, who two pale, two light-skinned black women who are able to pass as white and one has crossed the color line in 1929 Harlem entirely and lives with a, a, a white man who doesn't know that she's black and the other one lives in Harlem and has not done that and they were at high school together and at the beginning of the film they run into each other having not seen each other since high school um and the film, it, the, you know, the novella is really about a, a lot of things. It's not, it's really about the, 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 the many different ways in which we put on, perform our identities or, on some level or how our inner lives do or don't match up with the projection that we put out into the world. Which is so applicable to the world today it's such a contemporary yeah. theme when you know with social media where we're able to put out this you know performative version of ourselves or this identity or creating an image that may or may not be who we are who we want mm -hmm. how we want to be seen i mean it sounds incredibly poignant yeah it's, it is very it is very uh it feels very it feels very modern i mean it's about a lot of things it's about the performance of femininity it's about gender it's about sexuality it's about race it's about it's a it's a it's a very complex story um you know and I was attracted to it because I you know I I, I present like a English rose type but my you know my my mother is from Detroit and she's biracial and my grandfather likely passed and more than that his parents might have even passed because, you know, so he might have been born of two biracial people who, you know, it's like I come from a long line of, of this particular story in, in American history. It's part of my heritage. And, you know, I'm not, I suppose the sort of, the kind of, the end point of, of, of passing, of white passing in someone's history is is someone like me who's not really doesn't really understand their heritage and doesn't really and wasn't brought up identifying as anything other than white mm -hmm. 
And it's a, you know, I have a sort of complex relationship with it, I suppose. So I have very personal reasons for making this and I feel very moved by the story, but I also have creative reasons for making it. You know, the, I, it made kind of sense to me and I, I, I could understand the characters and I could understand how I thought the film should be made. So, you know, I think the film, I don't know, hopefully it speaks for itself. I'm, I'm, I'm growing proud of it day by day. Has it, did it, did it, was it able to provide a gateway into understanding your own identity, your own history? Um, yeah, I don't know because it's still, you know, it's still 1929. It's still, it's still things that I don't, that are, that are kind of removed in a way. I don't, it's, um, but yes, I think what it did principally was it, it was a sort of way of blowing open any, any remaining, uh, any remaining sort of hiddenness around the topic. What's the word I'm looking for? Hiddenness isn't a word. You know what I mean? It's just... It might be a word, by the way. (laughs) There's a certain amount of, like, you know, growing up in the kind of... You know, there's a certain amount of, like, not talking about it. And, like, is this or isn't it? Like, I didn't know for a long time. It's like, you know are we aren't we what is this is it is it what's the history we don't know maybe it was this maybe it was that you know and there's a certain amount of like I don't know for me this was an act of sort of rejoicing in it and saying yes this is it and I can't and I'm not I'm not in any way denying it and I'm not hiding from it and I'm celebrating it but I'm also appreciating the complexity of it and the the yeah just all of the all of it really well the best stories are have a have some sort of a personal drive like some sort of a personal stake or some sort of a personal story and so because it that's going to give it the the lay that that sort of unspoken layer that when people watch something they they really connect with it because it feels like it's it's rooted in something other than just oh this was a topic that someone was interested in you know right yeah and I I think that is it I mean when I first read the book I was you know I was in my I mean I wrote the first version of this script like 15 years ago so I was I was right in the beginning you know I just started spending more time in America I just sort of you know was thinking about where my American family came from. And I was just thinking about all this. And I read this book and I was just knocked over by the characters because I felt like I, I knew them. I felt like I understood them and I had no right to, I had no, there was nothing in my experience. I was like, I don't understand why I should feel so close to these characters. And I recognize aspects of my mother in some of them. I recognize aspects, you know, it's just, it just felt very, I had a very strong reaction to it. And I knew that I had to, you know, I just had to sit down and, and, have a go at writing the script as a way of understanding that. And did you, was it the kind of script that you would write and then put away for a couple of years and then come back to, or were you trying to get it made the whole time or did you, I guess. Oh I'm, no, I wasn't trying to get it made the whole no. time. I was terrified of it. I mean, it was a very, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty ambitious. I mean, I, I wrote it and I, <clears throat> I knew like after the first, the first screenplay, I knew a handful of shots that are in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like more than that, actually. And I knew exactly how it should look. I knew that it had to be in black and white. I knew that it had to be, it had to have a kind of 
harking back to a an older style of filmmaking, um, kind of from the 40s and 30s, which is also something that's very personal for me because that's that's my I'm a complete uh, cinephile about films made from like the dawn of filmmaking through to like you know the late 1960s when everyone starts loving film. So, like, and I have been obsessed with black and white films forever. And I grew up as a kid, I was obsessed with women like Betty Davis and Barbara Stanwyck and Catherine Hepburn and, and like Myrna Loy. These were my, these were my women. These were my idols. And there was something about the story that, reminded me of that era of filmmaking when women were like up front and center stories about complicated women and their interactions with each other. Um, and I, so I felt so, so strongly that to see a, a movie that, that had that placement in, in cinematic history, but, but was, had to, you know, two black bodies at the center of it, which wasn't allowed in that era mm-hmm. was really exciting to me. So I knew exactly how I should make it. And, and I also knew that that was so ambitious, like that level of like the kind of film that I wanted it to be. Um, all of those things, I knew that it couldn't possibly be my first film. And then, you know, I got older, I had a baby. I started to get, you know, feel a bit like, well, you know, this is actually, this is the one that I know all the shots. I know how I want to make it. This should be the first film that I make. And I want to direct forever. Sorry, this interview is like coming all about this and it really No, 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 it should be. (laughs) This is just a conversation and this should, this should be about whatever I, you know, this is one of the reasons why I like being able to see people because I can see the joy in your face when you're talking about it. And it's it's actually making me excited to see the thing when it's done because I can see how. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I, I'm. Yeah. It's 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 you know I'm pretty I'm pretty proud of it. I mean, and so much of it has nothing to do with me. I mean, I happen to have some of the greatest actors in this film that are around today. I mean, Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negger are the stars, and they are just extraordinary in it. I mean, both yes. of them. It's kind of. Uh, really everyone is just going to be knocked flat out by those of their performances. Are I you mean, in it at all? Um, you make no, it- no, no, I'm not in it. God, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and they're so brilliant. And also Andre Holland is in it and he is phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, and Bill Camp and Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm lucky. I'm real lucky. Like, I have great actors in it, and that's half the battle, honestly. Like, but yeah, I mean, so just to answer your question quickly, I'm rambling, but like, it, it went in a draw because it felt too ambitious. And then when I got over that and started showing it to people, if I'm being completely honest, you know, it would be, well, this is a, this is a fascinating story and all the rest of it, but you'll never get it financed. Um, and then that went on for years. You know, I, I attached, Tessa and Ruth attached. Like they, I met up with them and they said, we want to make this film. We're behind you 100%. Um, forever grateful to the two of them for believing in me. And that it was, it was, it was a rough road. Um, you know, partially because it's black and white and nobody wants to finance films in black and white, especially by first-time directors. And, you know, it was, it was a big ask. 
but also because it's it's about two black women and it's the landscape is changing thank god it's like it is changing but it, it has taken a long time and it hasn't changed that much you know it wasn't a slam dunk and it and it should have been because um it should have been. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 I, but, I, but I think it's such a great lesson and when people tell you when they reject your ideas for whatever reason, they don't know what they're talking about. They just don't have the... They don't see what you see in your head. They don't feel what you feel in your heart about it. So when you know, when you know in your gut that something is right and something belongs in this world, you know, it's, it's the, the, the rough road is it still can lead you to manifest that thing. Even if people are like, well, you'll never get this made. Well, I will get this made and you just don't see it. And you did. And it's such a great lesson for anyone, you know, just looking at this 15 year journey for anyone who has an idea that they know in their gut is right. And other people just don't have the frame of reference for it, or they just don't have the vision. Yeah. for it. So that it's easy for people to just swap things down because they just, you know, but then you'll make it and then it'll become some complete, redefining thing and then people go oh yeah we need to make more movies like that and like yeah well before you said oh no 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 no, you know i was just like no 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 go fuck yourself before you said yeah, right. so it must have been- uh, yeah you'd, you'd be surprised how often i got like oh it's a film about two it's about two women oh great like you know who who, who do you have in mind to play the white guy that's in it for two scenes like no joke oh my god well i'm i just i applaud you for sticking to it and making it happen regardless of any of that rough road i'm sure it makes it that much more rewarding having oh it does it really does i mean i feel like yeah because then you get that sense of like well yeah who got the film made that you said couldn't get made i mean that first day on set after this entire 15 year journey how surreal was that totally surreal (laughs) it's a funny story more surreal by the fact that i had like a stomach flu. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I mean, I always imagined that my first day on a movie set as a director would be very surreal. Um, but I had spent 24 hours, uh, like really, really ill and throwing up. And I was directing, we were doing a scene in a car and I was on like a, the truck behind the car that, you know, the, the rig that's holding the car and you're in the truck and you're sort of like talking to a walkie talkie to try and talk to everyone about. Yes. Yes. Everything in the shop. And, and, and my producer was holding a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I was delirious. So I don't know. I feel like I got slightly cheated out of that moment. <laughs> no, well, or, or when it's all done, you can go, I fucking earned this. <laughs> Across every level. <laughs> I earned this. <laughs> you just be going on talk shows they'll ask you questions about it you go no 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 you don't understand I earned this you don't understand but it is those things in life that I think that we you know there's this this idea that you 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 really fully appreciate things when there is um discomfort in the process mm-hmm. like what a gift discomfort can be mm-hmm. because not only does it show you what you're made of it gives you such a tremendous growth curve. And then like what an appreciation, you know, coming on the other side of this, what an appreciation you'll have for what you, you would have appreciated it no matter what, but the fact that you had to go through all these things to get it. <laughs> yeah, I, guess. I mean, I'd rather not have been throwing up in a bucket, but <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> I also think that your design aesthetic is a very positive 
I think that does tell, that is telling for like the kind of, because again, this room you showed me has such a cool vibe to it. You know, just the color and the different styles of furniture that all like talk to each other and the composition mm -hmm. of the furniture. When you, um, I think that really does say like what type of, like I think the film's going to feel really. Obsessive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Obsessive. <laughs> Are you an obsessor over details? Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, terribly. Like to a degree where you feel like, do you feel like things are never done or do you, are you able to be satisfied with things or do you feel like it's always, oh, it could have been a millimeter more this way? I think that in, in the past, I've been that person that has never been satisfied with anything, but I think I've, I think I've gotten over that. I don't know. It's like, a, it feels like a sort of, uh, I don't know, certainly, you know, like when it comes to acting, I always, you know, there was a sort of romanticism about those actors that you hear about that are like, I never watch my work, you know, I, I couldn't possibly. And I was, and, and part of me was like, yes, no, I can't either. It's awful. Oh God, I can't bear to look at myself. And then I don't know, I got older and I was like, you know what? It's not just me that made this thing. Other people are involved in this and I owe it to them to like, sit through and, and actually try and look at it objectively and not just look at it for all my faults or, you know, the fact that I have eye bags that one day or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, actually try and appreciate it for a piece of, piece of work that a lot of people put a lot of effort into. And I, so I, you know, I try to, I try to let go of my perfectionism at a certain point. I mean, it serves me to, to a, to a, to a certain level, but then there's also got to be a point where you have to let go of it and just, you know, appreciate it and, let it be. That is, that is a hard thing to overcome too, especially because, yeah. you know, I think part of the reason why people do get obsessive over things is, is, is to, I don't know, to at least feign some sense or, or at least be able to tell them, people tell themselves they have some sense of control. And exactly. when yeah. you're in a business that is so volatile. You've got no control. <laughs> no control over anything. I mean, no one in life, you know, like, I think what we're realizing now is that we don't have as much control. As we don't have control over anything. No, no, and, and honestly, I think that's one of the joys of being an actor, perversely or masochistically or whatever. But like, it's there is a sort of there is a sort of joy about turning up to work and being like, well, I'm just going to give you everything I've got, and mm -hmm. then uh, then I'm going to go home, and you're yeah. just you, it's all yours. Like I don't, it's not my business what you do with it. I right. don't, you know, I don't have to deal with it. This is I'm just here to enjoy and do, and then I leave. You know, is, there, is, there is a kind of joy about that. Yes, but then where is your job as the director is the complete opposite. Complete opposite. <laughs> oh, you have to know everything. You have to answer everything. Yeah. And you have to decide everything. I mean, you're the last word on all of it, you know? Like, to me, directing always sounded like a fun thing until I think about the editing process and I go... Too, too much choice. Like I, there are a million ways I could fuck this thing up. And I just, yeah. I, it just stresses me out too much. That, that yeah. stresses me out too much. No, it's, it is like a, it is like a sort of a gigantic um, Rubik's cube or something. I don't know, but it, I do feel it is a bit of a Rubik's cube. Like you can do all these variations and then suddenly something clicks and you're like, Oh, this is, this is what it's meant to be. And this right. is what it's been. Like the film is going to be its own thing you can't really force it to be something else that was in your head or you can't really force it to be, you know, something that becomes, in your, you know, something else or it, it has its own thing, which is sort of fascinating actually. But, you know, 
I say that, but also I obsessively storyboarded the whole thing, like with, and was editing the, the you know, this is where this is going to, this edit's going to be. And there's like, there's a bit of the movie that is like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you also, it, it is, I would imagine there's probably that balance between you can plan something to a T but then you get there on the day and it's like, well, this thing happened. And now we have to figure out how to improvise or be flexible because we just, oh, don't, okay. have, we just don't have the time. Or the money. Or like, the you money. Know, you, P.S. Like the 15 year struggle, I still made the film in black and white. And it's still, you know, and a lot of people would have given me a lot more money if I'd made the thing in color. You know, there, we, it was a very, very small independent film. And there are so many factors that you can't control without that. Because you you literally have fifteen minutes to shoot X Y and Z, and it doesn't matter that you know you didn't get the whatever it was, or there's a someone bicycles past in a in a modern outfit. Well, so, you know, thank, I, I I imagine when the lighthouse came out, where you were like, oh my god, thank god, a black and white movie that people are you know because it you know, doing well in the box it's like yeah. shot in an, in an Instagram square and it's black and white and no and I'm four th- uh, four three not which isn't one one but I'm like old movie sort of little skinnier right. not widescreen right right um, right yeah so yes I was I was also but then it's it, there's a there's been a precedent just recently I mean like you know uh, both those films Ida and Cold War by the Polish director um, um, yes have like both done that extraordinarily. And so, but yeah, it doesn't really, then there's Roma. I don't know. There's been a trend for black and white films recently. Yeah. Do you, have you ever ever seen a movie called The Big Picture? It's ringing a bell, but I don't think I have. What's that? 1990, maybe. Uh, Christopher Guest directed it. Uh Aha. Kevin Bacon is in it and Michael McKean and Martin Short. Oh. it's the it's it's one of my favorite movies because it is a it is almost it's about this kind of thing where this kid out of film school he goes to like AFI and he wants to make this really personal black and white intimate story and he starts going through the studio process and they're like wait the whole, the whole movie's in black and white oh no 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 and then and then one of the executives just says this really stupid thing like but all the projectors at the theaters are in color they can't even show this. <laughs> And so they convince him it's just the story of this young kid who's Kevin Bacon who just starts kind of like making allowances and then all of a sudden his movie just becomes this totally shitty thing based on all these studio notes. (laughs) I've got to say that. It sounds like a little too on the nose. I think I might find it quite painful. (laughs) (laughs) But it is about sort of like, look, you know what you know and you believe what you believe and stick to your guns when you can and really, you know, like follow your heart. And it's such a fun weird sort of live action and the characters are kind of cartoony but it just it's such a sweet little movie about you know about this journey i i think you know as you're sitting around it might be a fun movie for you to watch it's called the big picture yeah i'm definitely gonna go check that out thank you very much for that no of course but even back then that was a time when people were essentially just making movies for theaters and now there are so many different platforms that I feel like in as much as it is splintered audiences, it's also freed up creators to not have to try to, you know, make the argument of like, oh, this is going to make $300 million at the box yeah, office. I hope so. I mean, I think it strikes me that, you know, every, everyone keeps sort of 
suggesting that the only films that people are going to see in the cinema are, you know, are the big superhero movies or tentpole movies, whatever you want to call it. But also, I mean, conversely, I think also people want to go and see art house movies more because they offer the same, the equivalent of a tentpole movie in for aesthetics or, you know, for art. And people right. want to have that experience in the cinema, which is why places like, you know, Film 4 and, and still, I hope after this, will still be thriving. And, you know, these art house cinemas all over the country still exist. Yeah. Um, if we didn't have that, you know, and you look at a, a movie like, uh, uh, what was it recently, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, that did really well. And you're like, well, people want, there is an appetite for that too. And I think that's really exciting actually. And now that you can see everything in all these formats. Now it's interesting that you bring that up actually, because I remember someone saying to me years ago when I was trying to get passing made, you know, and they were saying, they were trying to talk me out of the black and white thing. And they were saying, well, you know, the reason why you can't make films in black and white is because they won't sell to TV networks because people will think there's something wrong with their television. You're going to love the big picture. I swear to God, it's full of shit <laughs> like that. Yeah. And, it... <laughs> and that might be true, but I just think now, anyway, they've got TV networks have got a far bigger problem in the shape of Netflix and Amazon and everything else. So I mean, like, what, what, what are they going to worry about black and white movies? <laughs> but I also, I think there's an interesting, it's going to be interesting to see how we come out of quarantine and how that changes how we socialize publicly, because I feel like we, you know, being creatures of convenience, there were less and less reasons to leave our homes. And, it's, and mm. you know, we were already seeing, and you know, like this idea that, oh, people will only go see event movies in theaters. I wonder if now that the, now that the universe has kind of said to people like, oh, you don't want to leave your home? Fuck you, now you can't leave your home. So enjoy it. You know, enjoy. Like, yeah, maybe it's going to make people want to go out. Cigars where when we come out of theater, we're going to be like, I need to go to a theater. I don't care what's playing. I just need to be around other people. I need to go. Yeah, I, I'm nearly sure that's true. I mean, you know, I've got a, 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 an interest in, in theater theater as well, obviously, because I come from, a, my, my father was a theater director and I come from that background as an actor as well. And it's, it's always been interesting to me that in all these discussions in the movie industry about getting panicked about what Netflix is going to do, what home cinemas are going to do and what this and that is going to do, you know, always be like, but yes, but the theater still exists, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and, and that's been threatened for years by everything, by movies, by radio, by, you know, it was, and yet it still exists because people still do actually want to congregate and have a, communal experience right. and a group experience and it's a different way of digesting culture and it's also a diff- it's a way of checking in with the culture on mass right. and being like how are we receiving something how are we you know thinking about something right now and it and it, and it i don't think it's going to go away i think people are always going to want to go to the cinema I agree. they're always going to want to go see plays and i think it will be interesting when this is over i think the appetite for things might change you know i i really i really do i think like the i don't know the the refocusing that this is forcing us to do it might it might mean that the appetite for for something more contemplative mm-hmm. might be there i don't know it's like all a different you know people are like you said earlier when we were chatting about like oh it's kind of your there is a focus on everyone's focused on art right now a little bit, you know, like to keep themselves entertained. There's like, people are reading books, people are 
doing all these things and it might just sort of refocus what you enjoy or what you want or what you think you want or I don't know and I, I don't know things like things like this always shift the culture in some way it's going to be interesting what's going to happen most weight loss plans are one size fits all not taking into account each person's individual needs noom takes into account dietary restrictions medical issues and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you everyone's journey is different so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Wondery, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Wondery to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Wondery. Well, absolutely. I mean, art is just an, a re-expression of, you know, stimuli, like whatever is sort of being fed into the machine is going to get re-expressed and repackaged somehow. And so... What does that mean? I mean, obviously there will be some on the nose expressions of all of this, but then, but what are the subtle undertones and what are the, like, what's the, what's sort of the subtext of everything and how will that express? And will that, you know, will there be a bunch of movies that are, that have a certain, you know, color palette or like emotional tone that is sort of subconscious because it just like, you know, we're just kind of these hay balers and like you put the shit in and it's going to come right, out. Right, and like, right. what is that? What does that yeah. look like? It's going to be really interesting to see how art is re-expressed, but we're social creatures. And I think what I'm sort of realizing is that in as much as it feels like we're connecting with other people via email, social media, you know, texting or whatever, we are going to crave like the IRL, the sort of like really gathering with other people and realizing oh, this is actually what being social means. It's actually yeah. gathering together with friends or contemporaries and exchanging yeah, ideas this is meaningful, in our yeah. life. Yeah. So no, what I, yeah, no, I was talking, I was talking on, on the Zoom or whatever to my, one of my half-sisters the other day who lives in Wales and teaches uh, theatre. She's a theatre designer and an artist and she, teachers and she's been doing it on zoom but she said to me something so interesting she was like but she was like we do these board meetings where we decide what's going to happen but because we're doing these meetings like this there's no room for the extraneous chat where so many of the decisions are actually made like mm -hmm. the chat that happens over a coffee instead right. it's bullet points of like we we this is on the agenda and this is on the agenda and it's done I thought it was really interesting because I'm not doing that sort of thing, but she is, and it just made me think about that. 
Well, yeah. And it's also the, the, the challenge with that kind of communication dynamic is that when you have a large group of people, when you're in like a room, when you're in, you know, people can sort of jump in and there you can be crosstalk and there, but when you have a bunch of people in a video conferencing meeting, it's really only one per, it's a lot of, oh no, I'm sorry, you talk. No, 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 I'm sorry, you go. Oh no, wait, you go. You know, like there's Yeah, unless you unless you'd have a birthday party for a toddler. We did a we did a Zoom birthday party two days ago for, for Ida Term Two and uh it was just a heap of her toddler friends screaming and nobody nobody had the Nobody had the little green box. <laughs> did the did the two year olds? Did they recognize? Like, could did they? No, no, I didn't know what was going on. It was just a lot of squealing. It was great. It was truly. It was really. It was really something. It felt like a. It felt like an art installation. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> what a strange experiment. Was it basically just the other parents? Like, ah. yes. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. They just. It was actually. It was actually. It was actually the best sort of birthday party that for 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 me and Morgan that we could have had because it was all of our friends from several different time zones with kids. You know, it was friends in England that have kids and friends in you know LA that have kids and friends in New York that have kids. It all on the same. It was pretty funny. Yes, no cleanup. (laughs) That you do not have. And no cleanup. And there was no. uh, There was no catastrophe, and there was no tears or crying. Yeah. That might be the one thing that sticks around after quarantine. It's like, yeah, we're just going to do a Zoom birthday party. It's yeah. <laughs> just easier, you know? No, there's no liability. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, virtual party bags. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a gift card. Yeah. It's an Amazon gift card. You pick out what you want, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it is, it, 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 for kids yeah. who I would imagine tend to want to be around other kids to socialize it must be kind of strange for some of them too definitely definitely yeah i mean our kid mostly hangs out with us so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) do you are you on a regimented schedule are you able to have like a regimented schedule where you is everything pretty structured or is it sort of like no 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 we're not very good at that it's quite, it's quite loosey-goosey around here. Yeah. But, I mean, she does, she does sort of, she does inflict a sort of schedule, you know, like, if it weren't for her, I suspect, we'd probably just be lying on the, the couch watching a, a lot of television. <laughs> Not knowing what day it is. <laughs> yeah. What meal is it? I don't know. Does it matter? All the days are one big day. At, yeah. essentially you it's basically you take a series of naps and you get up to eat and then you <laughs> yeah and who knows what time it is anymore or day or anything yeah you go back to sleep so i just have a couple more questions before uh before we wrap this up number one i love to ask directors like what do you think the job of a director is how do you see directing because everyone has a slightly different take on it God, I don't know. If I get to do it again, ask me because it might shift. But I think right now, the thing that, I mean, I think it's making sure that everybody knows the film that you're trying to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's because it's that felt like the job so much of the time. It's just a constant trying to explain to everyone the thing that was in my head, you know, whether it's to do the art department or the costume designs or anything. It's just again and again and again, you just keep, and you sound like a broken record and you sound crazy to yourself, but you just have to keep doing it. 
again and again and again and you know and everybody it's just sort of making sure that everyone so they're all on the same page because things really go off piste I think when everyone's making a different film that doesn't mean that you don't allow everyone full creative freedom but they have to know what the movie is that they're making and then they can bring to it whatever the hell they want and it will be delightful but if everyone thinks they're making a different film then it the the train leaves the you know goes off the rails would you say that's the thing that you that was that sort of the biggest lesson of this experience um yeah well i had it like a angela robinson who directed me in a film called professor martin and the wonder woman um and oren moverman who directed me in a film called the dinner mm-hmm. you know they're both great directors and they were both executive producers on it and they would both give me little tidbits and it was Angela actually who was like just keep repeating yourself it doesn't matter how crazy you sound just keep repeating yourself so I felt like I knew that one going in but I was really the lesson was that it was so true right (laughs) it was like you know and so yeah yeah that's a good note. I've actually never heard anyone say that before. And it makes a lot of sense because you, especially when you are like, you know, when you're sort of leading a team, if you're the, the clarity, like you have to communicate with such clarity because sometimes you can get something back and you go, Oh, I wonder why they thought this was the thing that I was trying to say. Yeah. Well, no, and I, God knows I've worked with directors as an actor who, who for some reason just assume that everyone knows exactly what's in their head. And it's quite clear that nobody does. And you're like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, including me. And I'm like, what? But, (laughs) you know, and it it doesn't, and it's hard. It's really hard. It's hard for the actors too, because you want to, you know, you want to hit the right tone. You want to know what the, you know, and it's, and it's hard to communicate that actually. It's hard to sort of get it across. Well, you're lucky that you've been on that side of it, so you understand, like, oh, well, now they're on, so I need to make sure that everyone understands, because that is a... Yeah, it's really hard. It's like it's like that thing about colour, you know, that no one sees colour the same way. It's like, you know, I can sit here describing to you how I see green forever, and it still might not create the same green in your head that is in my head. Or whatever. You know, that's that's not quite the right... Met, you, you know, know, listen, I was a philosophy major and that <laughs> fucked up my brain the first time I, that was introduced to me, like my, like in the, my basics of philosophy class, like when the entry level where they're like, well, you know, I don't know that when I say a table that you see the same table. And I was like, oh my God, I can't even fucking process that. Like <laughs> it's just that idea of trying to understand what someone else understands an object, a reference point to be. Yes, you're absolutely right. It, it's a wonder that we're able to even organize as a society and have some right. common agreements on things. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. At all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. What are you, yeah. la- lastly, sort of, what are you kind of like, just, I just want to, I'm trying to give people as many sort of positive nuggets to chew on <laughs> as, as we're sort of navigating all this strangeness. Um, the, it just, just ways that you stay joyful and positive and, and inspired and happy and hopeful. Is there any, is there a mantra or is there just sort of a general outlook or something that you're able to fall back on for, you know, when people kind of feel weird? You know, I, 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 our, our worlds have all got smaller in some way across the board, like whatever your 
world is, everyone's has been forced to be smaller. And I think that possibly the only way to really like survive this is to take some pleasure in the small things mm-hmm. that you do still have access to. And, you know, I, I think that's why everyone's cooking all the time. And <laughs> But there's something very satisfying about, you know, oh, I'm going to, you know, hand make pasta today and look at it. <laughs> it's very like, or you just look out the window and you're like, whatever you see out the window to, to try and find some joy in that. But it's, it's, I'm not, you know, some people's windows are better than others. God knows. It's, that's not a, the, that's probably awful advice to someone, but no, I think just the small, the like taking, I don't know, taking some, finding some joy in the small things that surround you, I think is probably the best way to get through this. And I think we definitely had, I think not all people, but I think by and large, a lot of people had lost sight of that. And I certainly don't think that our culture necessarily fosters appreciating the small things and appreciating the life stuff. But those are all the things that, you know, when you talk to people who are older and wiser, those are always the things that they go like, yeah, I just fucking, I just got rid of all the shit that I was obsessing over that didn't mean anything and just right. focused on the smaller things and appreciated the moment. And so hopefully we're in a, in a, in a state of, of transitioning into more of a, of a wisdom. Maybe there are more wisdom nuggets that we can take. Yeah. Away. Wisdom, wisdom nuggets are probably always good. I, I'm, I'm all for wisdom nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This was so wonderful to chat with you. No, it was really nice chat. Very nice chat. When does, first of all, you, you, you probably don't know when Passing is coming out yet. Yeah, I know. I spend the whole time talking about Passing and it's really not the press junket for it. Um, it <laughs> People can see Tales from the Loop now on Yes, Amazon. they can see Tales from the Loop now. I don't know when Passing is coming out. We've got, to, we've got to, you know, play it at festivals. Hopefully we'll get into some festivals. And it's got to sell. It's, you know, early stages and all that stuff, so. But Tales, Tales from the Loop is a fun sort of, it's, an, it's like a sci-fi anthology series, but, it, but rather than being a bunch of disconnected stories, they all sort of center around this one experience that the town. Yeah, and it's, and it's very, it's actually very um, subtle and philosophical and sort of all the things that we were just chatting about, actually, in terms of it's, it's slower paced and contemplative, and it's, but it's also escapism, but it's meaningful escapism. So I think it's quite good viewing for this moment in many ways. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. A pleasure talking to you too. Thank you. Wish you all the safety and health in the world. You too. And and I'm legitimately excited to see your movie when it comes out. It really sounds amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts